This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. We want to focus on the Word of God. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 1. I am battling some allergies, and my medicine does a great job of drying up my, uh, my, my, my nose, uh, so I'm not sneezing and sniffling up here. It also dries up my mouth, and so I'm kind of cottony in, uh, in my mouth today, and so I may have to take some sips just to kind of stay lubricated here. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's look at the Word of God together. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them, And bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible book of Scripture that you ordained to be placed in your word. We thank you for the incredible vision of your purposes that this gives us. Because this wasn't just about rebuilding Jerusalem. This was about rebuilding the city that was to be a light to the nations. And that's the purpose of our project here. Not just to make our building look attractive or pretty, 
It's about ministry. It's about people in this community and around the world. And so, Father, would you use this series to touch our hearts for the purposes of the body of Christ? And and, and would you use it to bring renewal to our own hearts and lives? We ask you to speak to us now. Through your word we pray, in in Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes uh, we we don't always get things right in our lives and and uh, we we want to send one message but uh, we we end up sending a, another uh, message and the and and the message ends up being somewhat um, muddled and and confused and and maybe a bit contradictory kind of like this guy now i'm not sure what kind of a fast this is but Judging by the rapper, I'm thinking it's a subway fast. Or, or maybe like this school. Now, I'm not sure where this College of Architecture and Planning ranked on U.S. News and World Report's listing of uh, colleges that was released this past week, but I'm kind of thankful that the graduates weren't the architects and planners of our building project uh, here, here at First Baptist. What about this, uh, this driver? On the road to success, there are no shortcuts. Now, he's fine. It's, it's vague here on, the, on screen, but, but you can see him getting out of his cab uh, unharmed, uh, uh, no injuries. But I think he's getting ready to, to say, you know, I thought I could squeeze under here. I didn't want to have to go all the way across town. Sometimes we send a contradictory Message And as the book of Nehemiah opens, Jerusalem is sending a very contradictory message. Because Jerusalem was the city of God. It was the place where the temple of God was. It, it symbolized the, the presence of God. Jerusalem was meant to be a light, a beacon to the surrounding nations. But as the book of Nehemiah opens, Jerusalem is in disrepair. What kind of a message was that sending to the pagan nations that surrounded them? So the book begins with a godly burden. A godly burden. Let's look at at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. So Susa is in present-day Iran, but in the days of Nehemiah, it was part of the Persian Empire. In fact, Susa contained the winter palace of the Persian king. So what is a faithful Jew like Nehemiah doing in pagan Susa? Well, along with many other Jews, Nehemiah was living in exile from his homeland. Now, some of the Jews had been allowed to return to Jerusalem, but the the city 
was still in disrepair. Verses 2 and 3. Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now this news was absolutely shattering to Nehemiah. It was devastating. Why? Not simply because Jerusalem was his hometown, not simply because he want, Jerusalem's a beautiful city and, and he wanted it to be beautiful again. It was devastating because of what Jerusalem symbolized. Jerusalem was supposed to be the beacon to the rest of the world, to the nations. Jerusalem was supposed to represent God's honor and glory, and God's name. And God's name is being dragged through the dirt because of the conditions there. And and hearing this report is almost too much for Nehemiah to bear. And we see in verse verse 4, he says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Oh, that God would give us a passion for His glory. A passion for His name. Like Nehemiah had. Because His glory is ultimately our motivation for everything. It was our motivation not only for our building project, it's the motivation for evangelism and for ministry for the Christian life. It's all for His glory. You know, Paul, as he opens up the, the, the book of Romans and he's introducing himself to the church at Rome, he, he talks about the, the, the driving motivation of his ministry and he says there that, that, that he's been given grace and apostleship to, uh, to, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. That's what it's about. Everything is for the sake of His name among the nations. In other words, we want Jesus to be more famous in our community and around the world to the nations. John Stott, in in commenting on Romans 1.5, says this, Why did Paul desire to bring the nations to the obedience of faith? It was for the sake of the glory and honor of Christ's name. The highest of missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor love for sinners who are perishing. Strong as that incentive is, especially when we contemplate the wrath of God, but rather zeal, burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Now that's why our church's vision statement begins that very way, with the glory of Christ. Our vision is to glorify Christ by making disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. But it is for His glory. 
We want His fame and renown is the desire of our hearts. We want Jesus to be more honored and famous and known and cherished and loved in our community and around the world. When you give to our church or to this project, that's what you're giving to. So Nehemiah here, as Nehemiah opens, is, is, is burdened. He's absolutely burdened by, by what he is, is hearing about what is happening in Jerusalem. But you know what? Great things can come from a burden. You may be here, be here today with a burden in your heart. Maybe you're carrying a heavy load of some sort. Let me tell you something. God can do beautiful things with that burden if you'll bring it to the Lord in prayer. And that's what Nehemiah does with his burden. So we see here not only a godly burden, but second, a godly prayer. And the prayer begins in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now notice here that Nehemiah's prayer begins not with the problem, but with praise to the God who is greater than every problem. I hope that you make time in your daily life to have a time alone with God and to spend time with Him in prayer. And I hope that time begins with adoration with praise, because when we praise God for who he is, it puts everything else in our lives in perspective. And that's the way that, that Nehemiah begins here. But look at the things that, that, he, that he says uh, about God as he begins to address God. How does he refer to God? He refers to him as the great and awesome God. The God who keeps covenant. That means that God is a promise keeper. God keeps His Word. He's faithful to do that. He refers to God as a God of steadfast love. Now, how does Nehemiah know these things about God? Because Nehemiah knows his Bible. James Hamilton of Southern Seminary says this, Nehemiah's strength of character was forged from his study of God's Word. He knew that he could rely on the true and living God to answer his prayers because he knew from his study of the Bible what God had promised to do. That's why in the, the core values of our church that the very first one is biblical faithfulness. We want to be a church that is faithful to Scripture. A church that believes the Word of God without apology. And the second core value is expository preaching. That means that we not only want to be a church that believes the Bible, but that preaches and teaches the Bible. Because we believe that that's where the answers are. And that's how we, we know who God is. That's how Nehemiah knows who God is. 
That's how Nehemiah knows the promises of God, because he knows the Bible. In 1966, the, the mission of, of, of Gemini 12 had a catastrophic electronic failure. The computers, the, 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 a lot of the, the electronics on board that spacecraft shut down, and the astronaut, Buzz Aldrin, was able to navigate and rendezvous with another space, spacecraft by navigating with an ancient instrument that sailors had used for years. Four years later, in 1970, the Apollo 13 mission had a very similar electronic failure. And they radioed back, Houston, we have a problem. Indeed they did. But Jim Lovell, the astronaut, was able to navigate that craft safely back to Earth, again using the same ancient instrument to navigate by way of the stars. What was it? It was a sextant. That celestial navigation using a sextant was taught at the U.S. Naval Academy at Annapolis from its founding in the 1800s all the way through 1998. In 1998, the people at Annapolis said, ah, you know, we don't need to teach our students to navigate by a sextant anymore, you know, with GPS technology and, and uh, satellites and computers have advanced to the point where we, we don't need to teach this anymore. Well, guess what? Teaching navigation at Annapolis by a sextant is back. Why? Because a sextant can't be hacked. That's why. Because in the case of a cyber attack, our people have to know another means of, of navigation. We have a guide, and many people have attacked it, but every attack ultimately on Scripture falls to the ground. And, and we have a, a surefire, totally truthful means of navigation through this broken world. We have a, we have a surefire, truthful guide in Scripture that tells us about the character of God, what God is like. It tells us about His power and His holiness and His love, His grace, His mercy. It tells us His promises. Above all, it tells us about the Savior. And it tells us how to do life and how to navigate through this broken world that we're living in with all of its confusion. Let's look at verses 6 and 7. Nehemiah continues to pray. He says to God, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, 
and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now notice here just the humility of this confession. The humility, the, the candor, the brutal honesty that you see here. The complete lack of any excuses. This is the beginning of spiritual healing and health. When we come before the Lord with this kind of authenticity, this kind of humility, confessing our sins and refusing to make excuses and taking responsibility ourselves. Now, Nehemiah was not an idol worshiper. You know, he was, he was not one of the idol worshipers that, uh, that had been the, the, the cause of Israel's ex- God's judgment and Israel's exile to begin with. But he knows he's not without sin and thus not without responsibility for what has happened. And so Nehemiah here is not only confessing the sins of the people, but his own sins in the most upfront, honest, real authentic kind of a way before the face of God. That's always the beginning of healing and health when we do that. And then we see in in verses 8 and 9 as he continues to pray, he says to God, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Now again, Nehemiah is repeating the promises of Scripture back to God. He's repeating God's word back to him. He's basing his prayer on the word of God because he has studied the word of God. He knows the word of God. He knows his Bible. Do you know your Bibles? Because that's how you know the character of God and the promises of God. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's repeating God's promises back to him because he knew from Scripture, that God had promised that if the people turned away from Him, that there, there would be a dispersion, that they would be scattered across the earth. But God had also promised that if the people would return to Him, that He would bring them home. And so Nehemiah is, is praying the promises of God back to Him. Pray the Scripture. Pray over the Scripture and pray the Scripture. Verses 10 and 11. They are your servants, speaking about Israel. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Now consider that last phrase in verse 11. Nehemiah says, Now I was cupbearer to the king, a man named Artaxerxes, the Persian king. Do you know what this means? 
It means that God had placed Nehemiah in close proximity to the king of the Persian Empire, Artaxerxes. He's placed him in such close proximity that Nehemiah is around him every day. He's around him multiple times each day. And not only is he in close proximity to the king, but he is trusted by the king. And we know that because he serves as the king's cupbearer. Now in ancient times, one of the greatest fears that kings had was that they would be assassinated by poisoning. And so their cupbearer was in charge not only of bringing them their drinks, but they would taste them before they brought them, and they would ensure that the drinks had not been laced with poison. And so the, the cup, a king's cupbearer was someone that he trusted with his life. The cupbearer had to be someone that he knew could not be bought, could not be corrupted, could not be turned. And so, in his providence, God has placed Nehemiah in this position as cupbearer to the king in the city of Susa. You know from the book of Esther that God had placed Esther, another Jewish exile, in the same city, in Susa, with close proximity to the royal family. And God, it says in, in Esther, it says God placed her in that position for such a time as this. And that was the case with Nehemiah. God had placed him in that place, in that proximity to the king, in this time, for such a time as this. Now, this is what theologians refer to as the, as the providence of God. It means that God is in control. And God is, is orchestrating all things to further His purposes. As Romans 8.28 says, God's causing all things to work together for good to those who love Him. And that includes placing us in certain places, in certain families, in certain marriages, in a certain church, place, a certain place of work, a certain school, a certain circle of friends, because God wants to use you right where you are, right? Even your struggles, even your trials fit into God's providential plan. He's working all things for our good and for His glory. And so embrace that. Now, in Nehemiah's case, God had placed him in close proximity to the king as a trusted servant of the king. But we know that ultimately... Nehemiah is a servant of a higher king than Artaxerxes. And what happens is that when Nehemiah hears this devastating news about the condition of Jerusalem, what does he do? He begins to pray. He begins to seek the face of God. 
And he comes to the conclusion that God is calling him to ask Artaxerxes if he can return to Jerusalem and rally the people and rebuild the city. Now think how easy it would have been for Nehemiah to talk himself out of that. First of all, the request is audacious. Nehemiah knows that he is going to have to go before King Artaxerxes and ask if he can return. It would mean that Artaxerxes is going to lose his cupbearer. The person that he trusts with his very life. It would mean that Artaxerxes is going to have to be willing to part with him. Not only that, but it's audacious in, in that essentially Nehemiah is going to be asking Artaxerxes if he can return uh, so that, that Israel can become strong again. Now, think about that. You know, Artaxerxes could have, could have thought, well, you know, I'm not sure I want Israel to, uh, to become uh, powerful and, and, and strong again. They could pose a threat to my empire. And so the, the very request that he would be making to Artaxerxes is audacious. But then think about this. Somewhere deep in his heart, Nehemiah must have wondered, what if he says yes? <laughs> Who am I <laughs> to go to Jerusalem and to think that you know, I could rally these people and we could rebuild uh, the city. I mean, how, you know, who am I to, uh, to attempt something? Listen, it would have been so easy for Nehemiah to talk himself out of this. We are very good, very clever at talking ourselves out of things that God has called us to do, especially if those things involve faith and sacrifice and risk. And we find all kinds of ways of talking ourselves out of that thing. Oh, you know, God's just not leading. It would have been so easy for, for Nehemiah to, to do that. Well, thankfully, he, he obeys the Lord. And he goes, thankfully, Jesus didn't stay in the glory of heaven, but he came to us in love so that our broken lives could be rebuilt. J.R. Vassar is a, a pastor, and he talks about being on a mission trip to Myanmar. And he was he was in a, a, a huge Buddhist temple there. He's walking through this huge Buddhist temple and sort of the, the centerpiece of this massive Buddhist temple was a massive statue of the Buddha. And there were people who were bowing before the Buddha and they were... Um, they were uh, putting in their contributions, and they were they were they were asking they were they were seeking they were seeking the the Buddha's blessing on their lives. And then J.R. said, I, "I noticed that behind this 
statue behind this idol, there was scaffolding. They were working on the statue because the Buddha was deteriorating. Parts of him were were chipping away. And he said, the whole scene just struck me. Because you had broken people bowing before a broken Buddha and asking the broken Buddha to fix their broken lives while other people fixed the broken Buddha. Nehemiah is going to return to a broken city to rebuild it because that city symbolizes the glory of a living God. The God who really can heal our brokenness because He became a human being and He was broken for us. Jesus on the cross was broken for us. Jesus sacrificed Himself for us. Took our sins, our brokenness on Himself, and was Himself broken in our place so that we can be healed and whole. He can do that because He Himself has been broken in our place. And He is the one who can heal and restore and rebuild what is broken. Father, as we continue to take this journey through this incredible book, we ask that you would speak to our hearts. We ask that you would bring renewal to our lives. We thank you for what you've done in our church and for what you're doing in our church and what you're going to do in our church. And Lord, we trust in your promises that you will be faithful. As we continue to bow before the Lord, if you're here today and God's speaking to you about turning to Him in repentance and in faith, turning from sin, turning from yourself, turning to Jesus and trusting in Him. Do it right now. And Jesus tells us that when He works in our life in that way, that we're to let other people know about that. In just a moment, as others stand and sing, God's speaking to your heart about following Christ. I'm going to be right here at the front. Come share it. I want to pray with you. We want to come alongside you. If God's speaking to you about saying, I want to be a part of this church family that's on a mission for God, then we want to welcome you as you come today. Father, speak to our hearts now in this time of decision for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.
I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.